Working Fans Podcast. Cool. Yep. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. Welcome back for another week of the Working Fans Podcast. This is AJ. I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer, Joe, may likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter. That's at FansWorking. Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms including Anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. Hello, everybody. This is former WWE superstar Al Snow, and you're listening to the Working Fan Podcast. Don't think you have to be an AEW guy or a WWE guy or girl. You know what? You 100%. Know what? And just watch some fucking wrestling and enjoy it for what it is. You don't have to. Just because you like one doesn't mean you have to hate the other. 100%. You know what? Don't watch that. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Watch what you like because there's a lot more to choose from now. Get your head to the pillow at the end of the night. That's all that matters. Mm. Just get your head to the pillow. No matter how bad you're feeling, no, no matter how bad you think you're doing, you, if you put your head on that pillow, you got a, you got a fighting shot at tomorrow. It's the Working Fans Podcast, and today I have a man who has been a wrestler, he's been a manager, he's been a color commentator, he's been a ring announcer, he's even been an author, he is an author, <laughs> he's a he's a DJ, he's got something going on called COVIDCon, he's going to tell us about Mr. Kenny Casanova, Kenny, you got a lot of stuff going on, how you doing? <laughs> Thanks man, I appreciate it so much. No problem, man. Let's give a little uh, background about you first. I did my homework a little bit here. You can correct me on anything. You were trained by Tom Brandy, Matt Bourne, T.C. Reynolds, and Bam Bam Bigelow to be a wrestler. Is that correct? Most of those sound right. I don't know about Matt Bourne, per se. A guy named T.C. Reynolds who used to do a fake doink, so pretty close. Okay. (laughs) Not quite Matt Bourne, but yes. Okay, okay, okay. And you started in 1994, and you right. predominantly wrestled in the New England area? Yeah, that sounds right, yep. Mostly <laughs> up and down the East Coast, mostly New England, yep. Awesome, awesome. And then you uh, you became a manager. You managed guys like King Kong Bundy, Brutus Beefcake? Yep, bunch of uh, old school guys. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And and then you ended up doing kimchi with Kamala for a few times, and that ended up helping you. You ended up writing an autobiography for Kamala, yes? Right, yeah. So that kind of opened me up into the book writing world. So just uh, a lot of it blends in. There's a lot of weird, I have a weird skill set. Uh, I don't know if you'd call it good. It's just very odd. The manager gimmick I did was a karaoke-like gimmick. I would sing my guys to the ring real bad songs like Britney Spears and Tom Jones and stuff so people would boo That turned into, hey, can you do a karaoke party for me, birthday party or something? 
Hmm. You know, so I was like, geez, I'll try to figure it out because I wanted the payday. You know, old school guys, that's what we look at. (laughs) So, you know, I started doing that. That turned into wedding DJ. Can you come do our weddings? So I said, okay, sure, that pays more. I'll try to do that. And then that pulled me out of wrestling a little bit. But then the book thing pulled me back in. So I was able to write the books for the guys. You know, and then the book thing many years later turned into this COVID con, um, which you just mentioned, which has now got me promoting a big convention, a first ever virtual wrestling con, which is going to be on Fight TV and has like 60 names on it. And it's all day Saturday, all day Sunday, you know, and, and that's because I'm an author and I wanted to put something together for the fans who didn't really have anything during, uh, you know, these tough times and stuff. So we came up with that idea and it's, it's taken off. <laughs> wow. So... Now, well, how many books do you have out, Gary, Kenny? Yeah, so I got. I started with Kamala's. You yeah. know, we raised some something like sixty grand uh, to write a book for him, uh, Kickstarter, as a reward. But then I figured out the whole publishing deal, which turned out to be more lucrative for him, who needed money when he lost both legs of diabetes, on how to publish myself. So I became kind of a publisher. So I wrote Kamala's. I wrote Dangerous Danny Davis. That was the bad guy referee in WrestleMania three. I wrote Bruce Beefcakes, Big Van Vader's wrote Sabu's book, and I'm currently working with Sid, Just Incredible, and also long-term Bruce Pritchard. Oh, wow. Nice. Uh, you're also, you, you've been a DJ, too. Is that something you're still doing? Yep, still doing that. I mean, right now in New York State, you can't gather well, right. uh, any people together, more than 50 or so, or whatever. You know, I don't even think it's that now. But, but yeah, typically every weekend turned into me DJing because it was the difference of you know, a thousand dollar wedding that you could make or more. Some weddings pay big bucks or, um, you know, a hot dog and a handshake from some, you know, backyard promotion or something. (laughs) So I had to kind of go where the money was. It took me out of the wrestling, but during the week I started doing the writing. So I'm still in it. So I'm doing all this crazy little stuff behind the scenes that I, that I excel at, but might not be as much on camera that you would see me. Gotcha. And now I also wanted to ask you real quick. You were a ring announcer and it, well, so funny story. Actually, just before this, we taped an interview with Gary Capetta, and we're going to be doing like a ring okay. announcer theme. And uh, nice. I was kind of wondering, do you ever did you borrow from anybody when you were ring announcing? Like anybody's like you know influence you? Probably the fake, because when I do it, I do kind of like a put on voice, more old school, a little bit of Michael Buffer, not really like the newer Justin Roberts sound, right. not really like that. It, it, it was more like, oh, this tone tells the schedule for one fall. It's, and more like the, the fake, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a fan of that, so I, that's cool. And I noticed, too, you're also an MMA fan. Did I, did I see that right? To some degree, sure. Yeah. I, I, I just wonder sometimes, because I noticed it, like, uh, like on your Facebook, I saw some stuff like Conor McGregor and a few other things. And sometimes I like to ask people, because, like, I'm a fan of MMA and pro wrestling. But it seems like MMA fans don't like to really mix the two. But I love mixing the two because I think it's all, I think it's all promotion yeah. and showmanship, and that's what makes it great. Yeah. Now. Yeah, I bet I bet if we really did our homework, we could figure out some MMA matches that were works. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> now, one other question before we just jump more into COVID con. Sure. You, you got introduced into the New England Wrestling Hall of Fame. Is that correct? Yeah, inducted the uh, Hall of Fame 2000 and I want to say four or five. Forgive me, I can't remember the year. Too many chair shots in the head, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Real big night, you know. They do a big, good job there. Um, it's Joe Bruin, his name is, and he's had the thing going for quite a number of years. And he also has like a big fan fest. He, he works around it. 
does a super job. So, uh, yeah, shout out to him. So tell me about COVIDCon in the sense, I know the days, but who's going to be there and what's some of the stuff we can expect and how did this all come about? It's okay. So there's a guy named John Cosper. He writes, uh, he wrote like David Schultz's book, who's kind of relevant again. You know, oh, yeah. David Schultz with that uh, Dark Side of the Ring getting out there recently. But uh, he wrote his book, and he, he writes to me one day after the COVID thing was going on here, and he sent me, um, it looked like a, a book fair, Zoom kind of thing that a college was putting on. He's like, geez, I wonder if we could do one for our books with wrestling. And it, like a light bulb went above my head, literally. If you could picture a cartoon, like that's what I think happened. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, dude, hold my beer. Because I had nothing to do, really. I mean, I'm a teacher, so I'm, I'm an English teacher also, and I teach during the day, you know, but I needed something to do, so I pretty took off with it, and I started seeing who I could book, and something that, you know, I've always pushed for, one of the rules of success is, doesn't hurt to ask, so I started asking all my contacts, and you know, I could get together, immediately, DDP said yes, so I was like, okay, this is going to be big, I could probably put his face on stuff, and you know, so I got DDP, Shortly after that, we had, like, Hurricane. But then, I don't know, uh, Al Snow is in. I'm just trying to figure some of the big major names. But we have every major wrestling book author, which was the idea to this. And we threw a bunch of other wrestlers in to kind of, like, you know, pull some eyes on the event and so we could help sell more books. But now the, the wrestlers will be able to sell more 8x10s and shirts and stuff. So it's, it's a good win for all of the guests because they've got nothing they can do now. They can't really go do a wrestling show. You can't do any sort of appearances anywhere for the time being. But also, what it also does is it gives back to the fans. Because the fans can't really, like, go enjoy anything either. So I said, hey, let's... So I said to my buddy John, I said, rather than do Zoom or something, here's my idea. Let's make a Facebook page, and we'll make a ton of Q&As, panels and individuals and stuff, where the fans can actually interact with the people that they admire and they want to know more about. And from there, we'll just let uh, we'll let their questions be the content. So we're doing Facebook Live, and it's going to be one constant stream from like 9 in the morning on Saturday until midnight, and then it starts up again 9 the next morning. And it's just every half hour, a new wrestler, a wrestling personality, or like an author or historian comes on to do a Q&A. And there'll also be run-ins in different people's feeds, and there'll be panels. Like we have an ECW panel. It has Sabu and Just Incredible and Joel Gertner in it. We have a tag team panel with like Typhoon, you know, the Shockmaster with like one of the one of the Bushwhackers, cousin Luke. You know, so we're trying to mix things up. We've got ODB's got a special guest that she hasn't announced, which is another uh, female wrestler that people know. So that kind of thing. A lot of little surprises here and there. Michael Kingston's going to do something with Hurricane Helms, uh, and Michael Kingston's the guy that puts a headlock comic out. So yeah, there's all kinds of neat stuff going on. Coco Beware is there, the Nasty Boys. <laughs> we all stuff are old school. You got everybody you can find. <laughs> yeah, we've got Oscar, like you said. You had him on last week. Oscar uh, gave me a call, and he was interested. So yeah, we gave him a spot. And that's some real good wrestle crap right there. Now, you, people who like wrestle crap, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the fun gimmicky stuff. We got him. We got Alex the Pug Parto. <laughs> We got, uh, wow. we got some cool stuff going on. You found everybody um, in that 90s type era right there. Yeah. 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 Got a bunch of them. We got uh, like Marty the Mop from Lucha Underground. Oh. Uh, Kevin Kleinrock, who does the Mask Republic. Oh, yeah. Uh, minute on some podcasts. Uh, he's going to show up with some Lucha Underground guys. The Talk Lucha. So we also have a guy named Peter Bregman who's doing coloring books for wrestlers. He's got like. And I help write him sometimes. He's got one for Demolition called Demolition on Mars. 
Sabu versus the Three Little Pigs. He's got, uh, oh, Cactus Jack and the Beanstalk. I did McFoley's coloring book. So we're trying to grab stuff from all over the place. We've got John Crowther, who does a lot of the guys' uh, comic books. So there's a comic book element to, to the whole thing. And then we've got Scott Teal, Cobar Press. We've got Michael Holmes from ECW Press. And all different little authors that are surrounded by all of the uh, small publishers uh, wrestling-related books. He's written Flair's book. He wrote the, the Iron Sheik book that was shelved. We've got the guy that wrote Jim Ross's books. So we got all kinds of, uh, O'Brien, we got all kinds of cool stuff. A little bit of stuff for everybody, I think. All right. Well, that's awesome, man. Sounds like you got uh, your hands full and should be a fun time for everybody. So everything they can find out about this is on Facebook? Sure. I mean, if you go to our page that we made just for the Comic-Con, I shouldn't call it Comic-Con, I guess, or Wrestling-Con, uh, you go to facebook.com backslash groups and then backslash wrestling bookmarks. So the group that we're putting together is a bunch of authors, and our group name is the Wrestling Bookmarks. We spell it like a bookmark, like you would put it in the book, but it is a play on the word because it's like marks for books. Gotcha. So, <clears throat> yeah. Cool. So go there, and you can also see it free on Fight TV. But if you want to ask questions, you got to go to the Facebook page so you can interact with the wrestlers. If you just want to watch it, Fight TV is a great outlet for that. Awesome, and you're on Fight TV too. That's awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Man. Is there anything else you want to say before we go then? No, that'd be great. I think we're going to have a Pro Wrestling Tee, Kobe Con t-shirt. If people are like really into it and want to check that out, any money we make from that, we're going to pay the moderators and stuff because basically everybody's doing stuff for free. Again, this is just a fun thing for the fans and just kind of like a book fair type thing to put your stuff out there with a lot of fun Q&A in between. And I just want to appreciate, show you my appreciation for having us on and let's plug it a little bit and you know keep stuff fun for the fans out there. Keep the legend alive. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, Kenny. Yeah, we'll definitely plug this. I'm super excited for the event, man. It's cool. Thank you. Thank you. If you're listening to this podcast right now, the Working Fans Podcast, then Happy New Year to you. And we know you can listen to other podcasts. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this one, man. I mean, hey, I love podcasts myself, and I'll be listening. So, <laughs> Well, I'm a working man here for working fans, and I'm going to tell you what, if we're part of the plan, we're part of the plan, they first got last, that is called the Working Fan Podcast, where they get questions, and they get answers, and you can't see them, but they ain't got answers. They are the ones in the place to be. You can see them all, and all you'll see, they got the answers, the wrestling guests. And they are, yes, they got to be the best. The guy got a voice out of this world. He be rocking and rocking their girls. So I'm going to say like this. They take them to task. They're listening to the Working Man Podcast. <laughs> it's the Working Fans Podcast with Dave. And today we got a former member of Men on a Mission from uh, the WWE back in the day. He was the uh, happy rapping manager, Oscar. How the heck are you, sir? I'm alright, how you doing? Good man, good. You know, usually when I get people on, I'll ask them about how they broke into wrestling, but with you, I was kind of curious, like, how did you start rapping? Was that something you always loved, or, like, how did that come about? Yeah, oh man, I'm trying to make a long story short, because that, that's, that, that's a load of question with a long reach. <laughs> um, rap started, uh, when I was in high school, it actually started when I was in high school. It started up, like, in the Bronx, um, New York, where I'm from New York, from Brooklyn, and, you know, I became a fan right away when I first heard the first rap that I ever heard, because before they were records, the raps were on cassette, and um, guys used to have those 
big boom boxes that took 12B batteries, <laughs> and they weighed about 10, 15 pounds to carry them around. A lot of people got bulked. They got bulked up just by carrying boom boxes. Then you heard the likes of uh, Curtis Lowe and Grandmaster Flash. And, oh, yeah. And Spoonie G, you know, some of the earliest rappers, and I was just a fan, uh, fan then. And then in Brooklyn, you know, we used to mess around with it. You know, I had one rhyme, you know, back by 1979 that I used to do. And then I started rocking that party. So we used to have block parties outside where we set these huge booming sound systems up. And we just rock it all night. And some of us that was rapping, we would get on the mic and just rock the crowd outside until the club situation came. And then the record started coming out. And I so wanted to be a rapper making records. It was my passion and my dream. Fast forward, when Grandmaster Flash and them started making records and then Run DMC, and they, was, and then they started going on tours and all that. Just fast forward in the story. That was my... If I had three wishes, it would be to go on tour to make records and be a rap star. To go on tour, make records and be a rap star. Oh, and Jeannie, to go on tour, make records and be a rap star. <laughs> I wanted it so bad. Not about the money. It was about prestige, the clothes, and especially number one, the girls. Right. <laughs> That's what everybody was really doing it for. Because nobody thought that the kind of money was going to be generated out of this. He just wanted, just wanted to be popular. I started rapping at this club later on, fast forward into the 80s. I started rapping at this club called Broadway International. And the guy was a Jewish guy that really liked me. His name was Leon. And he let me get on stage and introduce the act. I used to get booed off the stage every week. Dude, let's get out of here. Even through a... Even through... <laughs> a wet roll of toilet tissue at me one time. I'd never forget. Wow. It's like, you know, why you just don't quit? Why you just don't quit? Why you just don't quit? But the love of that stage outweighed the negativity until if, uh, until I got better. And it's not that I got better. They just, after I guess about a year, they just got tired of booing. <laughs> he ain't going nowhere. You broke them down. <laughs> he, he rolled even out to the left to him. If nothing else, we ain't got to like him, but fun no more. So, yeah, I went to, uh, to you know, did the growing international thing. And then uh, what I did was I went, the New York rap scene was, was really crowded. But my parents moved to California. I went to California where the rap scene wasn't so crowded. And my skill level to rap was nothing in New York, but it was phenomenal in Los Angeles because it was just breaking out. Right. So when you hear the name Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, Easy Eat, Ice Team, you know, I was all in that I was all in that West Coast West Coast rap clique back then. Where we used to do parties and all that other kind of stuff like that. Everybody branched off. And then what wound up happening was I had got I had rap I I used to I, I used to freestyle all the time. I could rap about anything on the spot. And I met a man named Norby Walters. I man changed my life. Norby Walters was an agent to every black group that there was that was doing anything. The stylistics, the Barry Whites, the Michael Jacksons, and he was their agent. And as he was coming to retirement, he took a liking to me and then he became my manager. That was the best thing that happened because the position that he had Norby Walters was like the unofficial mayor of Los Angeles, mayor of Hollywood. 
to be more specific. The man knew every actor, every producer, every celebrity and power broker in the entertainment business. How did you not fail being a lot with somebody like that? And when I met him, I started doing everything. I was playing, I was playing casinos out in Vegas. I was, I was, I was on the flip side. I wasn't doing the stuff Russian see and Grandmaster Flash was doing. I was doing corporate parties and Jewish events and stuff that where rappers don't normally go where white folks, white folks do that. A huge amount of money, and I was becoming an overnight celebrity in Los Angeles because I was always getting written up by Variety Magazine, The Hollywood Reporter, and it was a glorious time ah. doing all that. What time period was this? 80s, 90s? It was from the mid-80s, and then, I, and then the, the year where I really broke out was 1990. Because in 1990, the very first big project that I did was the Jetsons had a movie and I got on the soundtrack. If you ever watch Jetsons the movie, the, one of the very last songs was called the Jetson Rap. That's what I did and I mean, I was excited. To this day, I'm, st- that's what I'm still proud of. I mean, that's the iconic Jetsons. Right. I did a rap for the Jetsons the movie and that was fantastic. Gonna live, that's something to live forever right there. So that's awesome. Yeah, no, it will. Matter of fact, my wife was watching it about a month ago. I mean, it. It's a phenomenal thing to put on. You know, if, you, if I ever write up my legacy on paper, that's a, that's a one big pinnacle. Then from then on, I mean, I'm, I'm getting to the part where I got the WWE, then I'm going to let you ask your last, you know, your next question. Oh, that's right. Go ahead. Yeah. Keep going. You're doing great. After the Jetsons, this producer that I knew in Seattle, he had a production company where he would do like Vegas type shows with dancing girls and comedians, you know, variety shows. And I knew him as he was Greg Thompson. He was another mentor of mine. After I did the Jetsons, he said, you know what? You got the Jetsons out. That's a big thing. I got a show running in Bermuda. Bermuda. Beautiful Bermuda where it ain't nothing but a beach. Mm. I mean, it's it's seven-star hotels. He was running a show at a seven-star hotel for the Southampton Princess. And he gave me a contract, flew me out there, and I was working in that show. So I lived in Bermuda for close to a year. I came back and I settled right back into, you know, doing big things in Hollywood. I was rapping, opening things up at the improv for guys like Adam Sandler and Jay Leno and Jerry Seinfeld and a big, you know, big comedy names. Some of the biggest comedy names ever. I probably opened up for them at the improv or some other charity event or something else. I mean, it was phenomenal. I hooked up with, with my favorite comedian who was the biggest comic in the, in America at that time, Andrew Dice Clay. Mm. I saw him outside the comedy store and I did this rap for him and he asked me, how the hell did you do that? I said, <laughs> I don't know. So he took me, he had eight shows running at the Laugh Factory, which was on Sunset Boulevard. What he did was he would do his show he would call me on stage, and then I would rap. I would rap the show out down, and everybody lost their mind. And then it, it, it was, I mean, I was like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm with Andrew Dice Clay. I'm I, 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 I with Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> That's a crazy, you've had a crazy life, my man. <laughs> I'm eating pizza with Andrew Dice Clay, and I'm going to go on stage with Andrew Dice Clay. This is nuts. I went with Andrew Dice Clay to Vegas. He played a ballet. Did the same thing. I was a huge fan when I went to Vegas and playing craps. 
from the Cedar Tower playing craps on the same day, coincidentally, that Vince McMahon and Macho Man Randy Savage remember there, they were shooting vignettes for WrestleMania 9 was coming up in two weeks. Mm. So I'm playing craps and I see this big commotion in the casino and I look and I see this guy with this crazy hat and this colorful outfit <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, that's Macho Man Randy Savage. I gave the advice to the guy next to me and I said, go rap for Randy Savage real fast. <laughs> So I said, Mr. Savage, I got a, I got a, a, a singing telegram break. He was like, okay, go ahead, brother. <laughs> and then I did the rap, and I put this, I was like, no, 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 Macho Man, no, brother wrestling, he can't ravage, talk about Macho Man, Randy Savage, and then he does go, the man with the plan, standing right there in this big man. And, and, and just, just on and on and on. Vince was like, Vince, his mouth was open. He was like, I want you to call me Monday <laughs> at the WWE headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut. He said it as the elevator was closing, and he said it just like Stanford, Connecticut. Looks like you can't say it on TV. <laughs> so that Monday, I woke up. I was like, "Okay, let's see. go get candles for the eighties. I gotta get new, do some laundry." And oh yeah, that's right. Call this man, right? So I call now. I, when I'm calling, I'm thinking, you know how people say, "Call me." And they don't mean it even for you know. Yeah. His, sec- his secretary at the time was like, oh my God, yeah, this is exciting. He's been telling everybody about you. He's waiting for you to call. He's going to call you right back. <laughs> he called me 10 minutes later on the plane. Wow. He said, I think that you would, you would fit in here as a good manager. I see you as one of my managers. Let me get WrestleMania 9 behind me. We will sort this out. And I was like, um, you mind if I get a couple of tickets to WrestleMania 9? <laughs> he was like, yeah, absolutely. All right. So I went back to Vegas, and yep, I had tickets made for me at WrestleMania 9. So I'm going, and I'm going up. They were like, no, 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 your seats are down here. My seats were in this red carpeted VIP section, and they sat me down next to Luther Vandross. What was the lady? Well, I actually remember her name. Unforgettable. Oh. I, I should remember the name. It comes to me. So anyway, yeah, so I enjoyed WrestleMania 9, went home, and about a month later, he called me, flew me to Stanford, Connecticut, for a meeting, Mo and Mabel were there, and that's the rest of history. So that was the first time you met Mo and Mabel. Okay. Yeah, see... Vince didn't know at the time who he was going to put me with. I mean, I knew it was going to be somebody black because that made sense. Mm. I don't know if it was or, or, or somebody like that, but nah, they took the time to um, to wait. They they had tape on Lauren Mabel from the USWA right. in, in Memphis. And, and yeah, he got them out there, put us together, and Vince and Creative had already came up with the game plan already. They knew the kind of outfits they wanted us to wear. They had the name minimum mission and they told us we were going to be Mabel Oscar and Mark. So you start right at WWE, but were you always a fan of wrestling? That's another story. Yeah, okay. So my stepfather had a knack of knowing on television what me and my brother would enjoy if, if, if he was watching it. So, you know, like, one time he would call us and sit up there and say, look at this. And it was Alvin Costello meets Frankenstein. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, yeah, that's Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfbanger. We <laughs> love this. So one night, one Saturday night at midnight, he called us in and sat us down, and wrestling was on. 
And that's what I fell in love. We all fell in love with wrestling. Bruno Sabatino and the Iron Sheik, Skandar Akbar and Andre the Giant, the list goes on, and Bob Backlund, and uh, we just fell in love with it. And then a couple of times, he took us to Madison Square Garden to go see it live, and we had so much. We had no lead seat, but it was so much fun. Now, let me tell you why this is pinnacle, and now I'm going to bring in my best Howard Stinkham story. Right. I think was the announcer at Madison Square Garden when I was nine or ten years old used to go see it live, right? You hear how fatal, ladies and gentlemen, Bruno, Sam Martino, I'm Howard Fatal, and I never forgot his name, but that's a fatal, that's, that's a strange name. Yeah. How about years later at WrestleMania, at WrestleMania 10, I, more Mabel, was going to give the Quebecers for the titles and it just hit me that night. I'm like, I used to watch this guy from the nosebleed scene to my father and my brother, and now he's getting ready to introduce me. That's and wild. Any, any wrestler, uh, and, I, and I, I would imagine that story is not so unique to me because every wrestler who ever used to go and, 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 and hear the, and hear the, uh, the, uh, the OGs being announced by Howard Finkel, and then Howard Stinkle announcing their name, that's gotta make you feel something because it did, because WrestleMania 10, when I came out that, that, that curtain, I could look up at the nosebleed seats and I would imagine my father, brother, and me looking down at me now. Yeah, and, and yeah, being from Brooklyn too, and it's WrestleMania 10 at the Garden. Yeah, I mean, and that was such a fun, because I got to do my first music video outside on location at the garden prior to that, you know. And I mean, it, it was it was like a, it was what I wanted becoming a rapper 20 times over. I made it like Run DMC and Grandmaster Flash and all my items, but I made it on the flip side in another way. Yeah. That, that, that had me stand apart from everybody else in the rap industry. And I, and, 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 and I, come, to, I come to find out that I'm respected a lot from those cats for doing it. Because my idols, Melly Mel, I saw, I saw him again down the line when I was still in, and he told me, like Chuck D, a public enemy, told me they were fans. I'm like, well, it's because of y'all that I'm doing what I'm doing. Matter of fact, I owe y'all 10 cents on every dollar I ever made because if it wasn't for y'all, I wouldn't be doing this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a great, it, 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 it's a great story when I look back on the annals of my life. I mean, it, it's been a wild ride. Well, let me ask you this, because everything, you know, I mean, doesn't all great, and obviously things aren't always easy, and I did hear now, you, you always hear about it, from just from your perspective, the travel schedule back then. How was that? Well, it's, 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 it's more through it than just the travel. Okay, that opens up, uh, that opens up a new line of, <laughs> of, of, of answer. Awesome. The travel itself was as anything, if most people would tell you that the travel, the, the logistics of the travel is more exhausting and tiring than the actual work itself because the schedule was relentless. Mm. This McMahon is sent home with a $32 billion mansion and he'll put you on, he'll put you on the road 14 or what four days straight without no rest. And then they give you four days, yeah, they give you four days off, right? Excuse me. Four days off, 
And before you could drop your bag when you get home, because I was way out on the West Coast at that time, back in Northern California. I remember one time, before I could put my bag down, my phone rang, <laughs> and they said Sean Michaels had to go to a wedding or something like that. We need to put you guys back on the road. I'm playing tickets waiting for you on the airport. <laughs> I heard people say before that the wrestling and performing is the fun part. They pay you for the travel. Well, yeah, no. They, I mean, they pay you. So, but like that's like 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 any other recording artist band that act on the road, you get paid basically according to what they feel like your contribution is to the people coming, the ticket sales, and the money generated. So if you're a top guy like Bret Hart was at the time, Bret Hart I make a hundred times more money than me. I make good money, but Bret Hart was up there. Yeah, Lex Luger that was up there. Yeah, Yoko Zuna that was a champ. But they were all in the main event all the time. So, yeah, the money they were making was insane. Before I talk about leaving WWE, you, uh, what about the ribs? Any funny ribs? We always heard good stories about practical jokes and stuff about then. Anything you remember? I was the king of getting ribs. I probably hold the record. <laughs> most ribs and most vicious ribs pulled. Ooh. The Steiner brothers were relentless when it came. I mean, these cats duct tape me to a hero in the bathroom. Ah, uh, I mean, I, I, I used to my, my stuff used to be on the floor all the time, and sometimes guys wanted to fight me because they didn't think that I would fight back because I wasn't a wrestler. I mean, I, I, oh, yeah, 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 don't forget my, <laughs> my 30th birthday when I got they held me down and spiked my ass. Oh my god. Dirty, dirty hard licks, you know, remember that? <laughs> it was just, yeah, it's, it's just a lot, but I wasn't the only one. I mean, the Lex Luger used to have like these $2,000 suits and from what I understand, he used to come back from the match and find his suits able to a wall. Wow. Um, when the Lex Luger first got the title, somebody stole the belt and then they shit him on gym bag. I yeah. Mean, these guys wasn't just ribbon playing. They would do some malicious, mean, repugnant, awful stuff. Yeah, so the worst, the ugly side of the ribs. You saw a lot of that then, huh? Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, yeah. Somebody, somebody doing that in your bag. It don't get no worse than that. Nah. Now, so you ended up uh, leaving the wrestling. You left WWE. Take us through that. How did that come about? What made your decision to finally leave? Well, okay, I was. I was about burnt out. Maybe I needed about three months off. I could have got regenerated and came back. I was, but I, I was, I was burnt out. I mean, two, two years of change, I relentlessly on the road. But what, 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 um, what, what came to the head was, you're on a mission. Was popular, a great baby face team with a lot of fans and a really good positive gimmick. Now, throughout my early rap career. And the way I've always lived, I always lived my life positive. 
you know, you don't move, no, you won't, never saw me drunk because I don't drink, never had. You're not gonna see me smoking. And when it comes down to youth, youth is my passion. Stay in school, stay out of drugs, and live your life positive. Hmm. And I had a great platform being on television to impart that to, you know, a whole lot more kids than if I was just plain old, you know, just plain old Greg, which is my real name. Hmm. Well, what happened was the idea came to turn men on the mission heel. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to take us and, you know, and turn us from baby faith to heel, being heel tag team. That didn't feel well with me for a few reasons. But number one, I know Vince know what he's doing. He's the master at it. But I really felt strongly that, okay, they're gonna turn them, turn, turn, turn everybody heel. You know, and Matt and Moe never wanted to be heels. They never wanted to be David. That was impact. I thought that it was the wrong time to do that. That was my opinion. But what the thing was, was because of my positive stance and my positive stature, I was never going to go on television with those many people watching me and be negative. It just wasn't in me to do it. And that was that. That was, that was the split. That's when I was, you know, pretty much done. After uh, WWE, did you do anything else with wrestling, or did, was was that it? Did you move on to something else? I left wrestling. Um, I left wrestling, and I was straight into. Um, I was straight into radio. I was on mm. one of the biggest radio shows in Chicago called Man Cow's Morning. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No kidding. Now I saw you. I want to say in 2017. You did a rap for something to wrestle with, like a live show with Bruce Pritchard and Conrad? Okay. I was in Boston doing an interview. Yeah. Um, That's what I saw you in Worcester. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, with a guy named Dan Wright. I, I was doing a TV thing, and he told me that next night that Bruce and Conrad, because I didn't even know, I knew Bruce Pritchard really well. Mm-hmm. My work, you know, Bruce was uh, one of the top executives uh, up there when, when, I, when, I, when I was there, so I knew Bruce really well. But he said, so Dan said, you know, yeah, Bruce is doing his show um, at the House of Blues tomorrow night. He said, you should come up there and, you know, and, and, and rap. And I was going to be in town, so I was down. So I, I, uh, I went, and I went backstage, and I saw Bruce. And, um, you know, Bruce knew I was coming to rap. Bruce was like, um, do you want to you, you want you rap and open the show? I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> so that's how that started. So... Uh, from then on, I did about I, I did about ten of those. They were all a house of blues. They were all sold out, and it was it, it was one of the biggest ways in 2017 for me to at least get my name really, really back out there. Yeah, it was awesome. You did great, man. It was good seeing you there. It brought back a lot of memories. What are you uh, are you doing anything right now? I know it's probably hard to do things right now with the damn virus out there, but you know. Well, you know about COVIDCon coming up in here, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, myself and Hurricane Shane Helms and a bunch of big names, and uh, we're going to have and um, and the guy that came up with it, um, and Kenny Casanova, that did uh, Kamala's book. Okay. Uh, they came up with an idea since we can't really socialize right now is to do a virtual comic, to do a, a virtual wrestling convention. The same way we do but we're going to do it all online. Q&As and, and interviews and, and, and all kinds of stuff like that, a whole bunch of activities that people can, you know, look at safely at home. 
and uh, you know panels and all that stuff that you have at a convention, we're going to have it online. That's going to be May second and third. I think up on sometime on the third. I just don't know the time yet because they haven't told me what time I slotted. But Shockmaster is going to be on. Yeah, because there's a whole bunch of big names that are going to be involved. I think Barry Darso and, uh, and, and um, Barry Darso and them are going to be in, involved. And, yeah, it's going to be huge. And it's going to be a virtual wrestling convention. And we're all part of this. And I'm going to be on May 3rd. Awesome, awesome. We'll promote that when the episode drops. We'll put a link or something on Twitter, too. That's great, man. Yes, it's called, it's called COVIDCon. COVIDCon. Um, if you look up COVIDCon, Wrestling Mark at COVIDCon, and it'll give you all the details. All right, man. Is there anything else you want to promote? No, that's good for now. I mean, I, I, I don't know. The, the, as far as getting out, you know, everything is so iffy right now. Things are yeah. on hold. So, you know, I mean, hopefully we can get some semblance of normalcy back. Because me personally, you know, I mean, I've been I, I've been traveling a lot. I've been a, a consultant for uh, I've been a consultant for a few things, and then um, a lot of you know, by all of the big signings um, I've been at. Uh, over the past five or six years, WrestleCon and WrestleFest and, you know, all those kinds of things like that. You'd always come in, meet me, shake hands, you know, swap stories, sign autographs and, and all that other kind of thing like that. So, you know, I'm looking forward to getting back to that because I enjoy traveling, you know, when I want to travel, you know, when mm-hmm. I'm being home. And, you know, I want to go and, and out and meet people and be with people and, you know, and uh, vacation and all that other kind of stuff like that. Those uh, those conventions afford you to do that. And so, yeah, that's, that, that's I want to get back to that. That's awesome. That's excellent. <laughs> Thank you, man. Oh, my God. Listen, Oscar, uh... Thank you so much. You're an awesome storyteller. You got a great personality. You're very engaging. This is a real pleasure for me. Thank you. All right, man. It was a pleasure talking to you. You guys can contact me anytime. All right. Have a great night, man. Thanks again. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. No, okay, cool. So uh, I'm on the phone with Ross right now. This is Marshall. This is yeah, Marshall. yeah I'm, I'm here too. Yeah, Ross is here too. All right, cool, cool, cool. No, that's good. That's great. You, uh, I'll tell you what. So. I'll just do um, a quick pause, introduce you guys, and then whoever wants to chime in can chime in. Sounds good. All right, awesome, man. All right, thanks for uh, doing this again. Guys, I'm not even going to try to, like, name drop, but, like, we've had, like, Al Snow, uh, Ricky Morton, a lot of people on this show. This is a big thrill for me. Like, I grew up on your family watching them, and I am huge fans. I love what you guys are doing at MLW, so I'm really happy to have you here. So. Yeah, no, we're we're super happy to you know to be on your show, man. I we think appreciate you're that. We heard awesome things, man. We're we're definitely excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely got a good name in the podcast community, yeah. the wrestling podcast. Good rip. Awesome, yeah. awesome to hear. All right, all right. Well, let me uh, give you an introduction and we'll get started. Good deal. 